Welcome to Breakthrough Radio, a global business radio show where smarter strategies deliver breakthrough results by adding an entrepreneurial touch driving today's profits. Now, get ready for three powerful breakthrough segments with Michelle Price. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you're tuning in to Breakthrough Radio from. This is Michelle Price here coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas today. And on Breakthrough Radio, we're celebrating nine years of talking about mastering the inner and outer game of business. Well, it is the fourth Monday of the month, and that's when we hear from Finka Jakovic on human behavior. The breakthrough tip at the top of the show is a short tip where you can go take that information and take action on it right now. Our featured spot today is with Dory Clark, the author of The Entrepreneurial You. This is the last of a three-series book set. Our featured interview is a 35-minute conversation that's a nice deep dive into the topic of the day to allow you to gain a much better understanding, level of knowledge, and application for your business. And wrapping up Breakthrough Radio is our Breakthrough Bite with Andrea Walsh, the go-for-no expert, and her connection series. The Breakthrough Bite is a 10-minute segment that's not as long as our deep dive interview and not as short as our Breakthrough Tip because we like meeting all the learning styles of our listeners. I want to thank you for coming to listen to Breakthrough Radio. And if it's your first visit, please make sure you thank the person who told you about us. Now here's the scoop. You're going to want to listen without distraction. That's why you only need to write down one URL today. It's www.thebreakthroughradio.com. And you know, every week you have access to a blog post that gives you the frame for the conversation for each episode. That means that any and everything we talk about today, something we may reference to as a resource, we make sure to link to it there. So whether it's how to reach Finka, Dory, Andrea, or myself, make sure you do visit and connect with each one of us. Do more than follow. Reach out. Truly connect. Engage us in conversation. And of course, when it makes sense for your business, hire us. Well, today's conversation is so focused on between the entrepreneurial you, the leadership you, the brand of you, and then how you connect and communicate that I'm really excited to hear how Think is going to start off the top of the show with the pivotal role the values play in your leadership, your brand, and your customer loyalty. So let's bring Think of that. Awesome. Thanks, Michelle. So glad, glad to be here. Um, so I'm going to just pick up off of where we left off last month, where we talk about you know, really this idea of your total value package, that when we think about values and the role they play in your leadership, your brand, um, how you build relationships with others and your clients, it is, uh, I'm going to say, dependent on these four parts. Part one, know your value. Part two, own your value. Part three, bring your value. And part four, convey your value. Last month we talked about know your value, but today we're going to do a deep dive into own your value. And so when I talk about owning your value, it really comes from this intrinsic or this internal place of really feeling this authentic com- confidence from the, out- from the inside. And when you have this, um, I'm going to say, strength and anchor of confidence from the inside, it really naturally starts to emanate from you on the outside, whether it's how you're showing up as a leader, how you're showing up in your client conversations, or if you're you know, stepping out on stage. 
And when I think about that, sometimes what happens and gets in the way of owning our value, um, it may also look as, it can show up as these two parts. Well, part one is there's underconfidence and there's overconfidence. And underconfidence, there's things like doubt that, you know, permeate through our mind and have us uh, not feel confident in our value. And so it holds us back from owning our value. The same goes with overconfidence. It stems from the same place. There is a, a sense of fear, a sense of uncertainty, doubt, maybe even some judgment that's going on that actually has someone show up even more confident than they are, that overconfident. And it actually is coming from the same place as underconfidence, but it shows up as boasting or a little bit more um, self-motivated or ego in the way. And so those are the ways in which when we're not owning our value, what it can look like and uh, manifest into whether it's being inspired from underconfidence or overconfidence. Now, the concept that I love to talk about is, you know, how do you own your value? And um, I want you to imagine that you have this uh, bucket you're carrying around. And this bucket is filled with, um, with the things that help you claim your confidence and own more confidence so you can own your value. And when I think about what's in, in that bucket, and so let's say you've got you know, a bunch of rocks in this bucket, these big rocks would be, you know, what's your purpose? What is your, your, your work purpose, your life purpose? What are you here to do? Who are you here to serve? What are the things that are most important to you? And why do you do what you do? What are the things that you're passionate about? What excites you? What jazzes you up? And then there's this highest potential, this highest possibility of who you can be and who you are becoming. And when I look at each of those components, those are each this like one, they're each a rock. So you've got a rock of passion, a rock of purpose. You've got a rock for your values. You've got this rock for your highest, best version of you. And so you fill your bucket with that. And when you're walking around with a bucket filled with knowing who you are, knowing your values, knowing your passions, knowing your purpose, the natural confidence, that authentic confidence is going to naturally exude from you. And that's where this idea of owning your confidence um, and owning your value is really, is really I'm going to say, seeded from. And so that way it, it, uh, it can go out and you can show up in, in, the, in your work and in your world with more confidence because it stems from this, uh, this place of um, authenticity. And so, um, so yeah, so that's, that's it for me on, on part two around your total value package in owning your value. And uh, I look forward to bringing more pieces on how you can further bring more value and as well as how do you communicate and convey that value to others. Thank you, Sinka. You know, one of the things that you said just now that I'd like to just kind of accentuate real quickly and give listeners a, a question to take away and, and then bring back next month is how many times we miss the fact that overconfidence is coming from the same place as lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is. I like to call it fudge, and fudge standing for F for fear U for uncertainty, D for doubt, and J for judgment. One of those four are playing in that space of over or underconfidence. And you have to look and say, you know, what am I afraid of? What am I uncertain about? Is there any doubt? And what am I judging here? And when we ask those questions, we can understand and uncover where are, are we coming from authentic confidence or is our confidence being disguised with over or under? And uh, those four, so fudge, you know, it's like, oh, fudge again, I did it again, you know. 
it's fudge is somewhere in there. Fudge is fudge is 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 snuck its way in. And uh, no, I'm going to say one other thing. No one is exempt from this. We are all human beings having a human experience, and so we will all fall prey to fudge in some way, shape, or form. Mm, perfect way to end today's tip. Thank you. You're welcome. You know, in our last episode, we talked with Mark Murphy, the author of Truth at Work, the need that communication uh, reflects an honesty that's seldom heard in the workplace. Now, a big company that's been great at tapping into community, uh, honestly, internally, as well as with their customers, is Ford. How will you follow Ford's lead in being more strategic in how you connect and serve your customers? You know, today's consumer has changed the game of buying for business no matter what industry used it. It's why having a buyer journey map has become mandatory if you want to succeed and grow. This is exactly what Growth Hacking CMO does with their clients when they're approached and asked for help to grow your business and your revenues. Growth Hacking CMO are masters at crafting that roadmap and then showing clients how to structure their execution with precision. Defining what is important to customers today and using analytics to see how customers are making their buying decisions is the savvy way to prepare for their future needs and for you to stay relevant. And when you know what is valuable to your customer, you can use that to capture their attention and have it be welcomed. Whether you have 10 or 10,000 customers, your customer journey map saves you time, money, and headaches. It is your sweet spot in business, one that can help you generate profits and gain traction over your competitors. So connect and discover how growthhackingsteamo.com can help you do that for this last quarter in 2017. Now, before our featured interview, remember we appreciate it when you share today's show by going to www.thebreakthroughradio.com. Now, excuse me, I'm going to love this ragweed count that we have going on in Houston right now. So join me as we bring you Dory Clark. You know, she is the author of the new book, The Entrepreneurial You, and her past books include Reinventing You and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book for 2015 by Inc. A former presidential campaign spokesman, she teaches at Duke University and writes frequently for the Harvard Business Review. So please join me as we welcome to Dory to Breakthrough Radio. How are you doing today, Dory? I am doing so well. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I was excited when I saw a really good uh, friend and colleague as well as guest host here on Breakthrough Radio, Jeff Shuey, was talking about your, your book. I guess it was about a month or so ago, and I'm like, dude, I need to have her on the show. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, you know, Dory... There are so many different directions that we can start this conversation off in. What I've learned from listeners is that when uh, they've shared with us, when our guests and our authors share with us what was the impetus that caused them to write about their topic, they've told us it helps them to kind of align with you during the rest of the interview because they understand your motivation and where you're coming from around this topic. So would you briefly share with us what that story is? Absolutely. Um, So the the reason that I wrote Entrepreneurial You was uh, really that I wanted to learn how to make more money. (laughs) 
I uh, I started my own business 11 years ago doing marketing strategy consulting, and I realized almost immediately that the the number one thing that I needed to do in order to be successful was find a way to successfully differentiate my business. I mean, there's there's just so many people out there doing similar types of things. And so I had to, to learn how to not just build my brand and get recognized for certain things, but I, I came to realize that ultimately the way that people make money in their businesses these days is actually a little bit different. We think about some of these activities that, uh, that many people get famous for, they get lauded for, uh, you know, getting lots of YouTube views or having lots of podcast listeners or things like that. But oftentimes those are not the things that uh, that actually bring in revenue. It's a separate art, learning how to be good at what you're doing and learning how to get paid well and compensated for what you're doing. So I wanted to really understand and investigate that. So in writing Entrepreneurial You, I set out to interview about 50 top entrepreneurs. These are six, seven, eight figure business owners. And I really wanted to go in depth talking with them about what exactly their business models were, what, what were the methods that they were using to bring in revenue, uh, because that really has changed over the past couple of decades, uh, given what the internet has enabled, and then write that up and be able to, to really provide a roadmap for other professionals to follow so that they could either expand into new income streams in their business that hopefully allowed them to tap into more passive income, or even if someone does not work for themselves, even if they're an employee, I actually argue in the book that one of the best things that you can do for your career as a form of career insurance and also, frankly, just a, a way to, uh, to learn new skills is to have uh, some kind of a side income stream that you're doing in addition to your day job. And so I created a, a smorgasbord in Entrepreneurial U so that people could, could hopefully find a model that intrigued them and would work for them in their business. You know, it's so interesting being a um, boomer-aged entrepreneur and having been at it for, God, it sounds so large to say 35-plus years. But it's fascinating to me, Dory, to watch how what works and what doesn't work has shifted drastically over the years around the people's thinking, around the practicality of it, and around what actually makes people take action and, and, and want to hire you. And it's funny how many people will, for example, you know, some of our <clears throat> colleagues have podcasts, like we're doing a radio show. Everybody's got like a different entrance of, of how they connect with their potential customers. But I'm still, um, oh, I don't know if flabbergasted is really the word, but boy, it gets awful darn close there. I'm still curious why so many everyday people, you know, just the everyday person that you meet on the street or meet you when you're going to a business function, will say things like, um, so I I see you've been doing the radio show for a while. Do you make a lot of money at it? And, And it's so funny because none of us started those things anticipating that that was going to be how we made our revenue. We recognized them as being a door to building thought leadership, to building an opportunity to have really good conversations with people. What did you use for your door as you were maneuvering through this space? Yeah, I think, Michelle, that um, 
the, the, the metaphor you're using is exactly right. You do need to have something that's kind of your entry point. And so my version of this um, was basically just the text version. I, uh, I had been a print reporter uh, as my first career out of grad school. And so I was very comfortable writing. And so I figured, all right, I'll, I'll go for that. Um, so I began blogging very earnestly in 2010. And one of the strategies that I followed early on was I did a lot of interviews, um, and and I reached out to other business authors. I didn't I didn't know I didn't have a very extensive network um, before I started this process. I mean, I had never really worked in the business space. I had done politics. I had done journalism, but I, I really didn't know that many people in the corporate world. So I used interviews and blogging about people as my way in. So in particular, I wrote for Forbes for about three and a half years, and you know this this was not volunteer work, but it might as well have been. It was not very lucrative at all. Uh, so certainly not doing it for the money. Um, but I was doing between five and 10 blog posts a month for them. So I ended up doing well over 250 pieces over this three and a half year period. The vast majority of them were interviews with other people, simply just that I wanted to meet people that I wanted to get to know. And that was my foot in the door and it enabled me to build relationships and connections with them, as well as building a name for myself through that content creation process. You know, it's fascinating how many times people think just one aspect of your your professional arena um, should be a moneymaker anymore, especially since there's been so many conversations about how you need to diversify. So just like we had to learn diversification for our investments or our retirement years and years ago. We're also men hearing the same message around income, yet I still notice a lot of people will say things to entrepreneurs. As a matter of fact, I was mentoring a startup entrepreneur just this weekend at the Houston Maker Fair, and people will say things to them like, uh, you know, what you do, what do you do? I'm confused. I see you doing this, and then I see you doing that, and... And, and so one of the things I wanted to ask you today, Dory, is can you help listeners understand how to not have confusion prevent them from creating healthy streams of income? I don't know if it's just the average person is still a tad conservative on this, even though there's been so much acceptable conversation around how important it is, even if you're a corporate employee, to have more than one stream of income. But bless, uh, bless our entrepreneurs' hearts, we still see people say, so what do you do? I see you do this, I see you do that, but I don't really know what you do. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's so true. And, uh, you know, the, the model, of course, that we all grew up with was that people have one job. You know, you're five years old, you're in kindergarten. Well, what do you want to be? Well, a firefighter, an astronaut. You know, it's like, oh, it's so clear. Okay, you do that thing. But more and more, um, we have been shifting to an economy of so-called portfolio careers where people are doing multiple things. They may be wearing multiple hats. In fact, uh, currently, 35% of the American workforce is freelance or contract-based. So these are people that are inherently doing multiple things at one time. That number is only rising. Um, so I, I think that what can sometimes make it easier for other people to understand who are not necessarily clued into that model of work yet, although I think with time we all will be, is finding a kind of common strand that unites them. So, 
for you know just it, it's really in in some ways uh, just figuring out how to describe what ties the pieces together because most most likely you're not doing um, you know ten different things that are all wildly different. There's probably some uh, connective tissue between them. So in my case, I actually have eight different revenue streams. You know, it's everything from coaching and consulting to writing books to speaking to uh, doing online courses, but they're all about similar things. And so if somebody's asking me, well, what do you do? I would, I would say something to the effect of, uh, well, you know, I, 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 write and, I write and speak and coach about how professionals can break through the noise and really get their voices heard effectively in the marketplace. You know, something like that. So there's lots of ways that I manifest it, but the core idea is the same. And sometimes that can help clarify things for people. I love it. Thank you for giving that answer because I, I, I totally also get it, especially young entrepreneurs. Sometimes they're doing what we've been teaching them to do in the startup world. They're experimenting. Um, and then they run up against conservative people who, you know, sometimes can kind of throw buckets of water on on their curiosity and and so i totally totally get it that it's always great to have a red thread through all the things you do and it's funny you know because when you and i started doing things similar to this back in like 009 when all of us were early adopters of social media it was a common conversation piece where people were like so why are you on Twitter so much? Do you get paid to be on Twitter? I mean, you know, everyone's thinking is so kind of funny how it always will gravitate back to, so do you get paid for that? <laughs> it's funny. funny how our brains work. Well, you know, when you, when you talk about the great minds that you've had an opportunity to interview over the years, in, in, and I ask this question and no uh, means of, of trying to like you know pinpoint you to play favorite, but usually what happens is someone's journey, someone's story will really resonate with you stronger than the others. Not because it's smarter or it's better, but because it's more applicable to you. Out of curiosity, of all of the different interviews that you've had, whose story really resonated so? wrong with you because it was giving you immediate guidance to what you needed to do mm, yeah that's a that's a great question um, I think that well I'll give you a, a very recent example um, in writing entrepreneurial you my my most recent book one of the very explicit goals that I had for myself was I, I really wanted to learn about online courses. I've been feeling for a number of years, you know, as, as someone who does a fair amount of teaching, um, that's actually one of the hats that I wear. I taught undergrad for many years, and now I do executive ed teaching for the Fuqua School of Business at Duke. Um, I've, I've been seeing more and more a shift to um, – these so-called hybrid learning models where you're doing more and more on the, on the web. And uh, it just seems like online courses are in many ways the, the wave of the future because it just gives you unbelievable leverage in terms of being able to reach more people, um, make learning more accessible. But of course, there's a million examples of people who have done online courses and it's gone nowhere. And it's been uh, just 
you know, a waste of time and a waste of money. So I didn't want that to happen. So one of my missions in writing Entrepreneurial U was to learn about that from the experts. And so, for instance, I uh, interviewed a guy named Danny Eney, who is an entrepreneur and specializes in the online course world and has had a number of very successful launches himself. And he has a great methodology, which I, I really learned from in terms of how to um, – how to be able to test the idea of your course before going all in and launching something that you're just guessing if your audience wants. I mean, the secret really is to do a lot of surveying up front and then run a pilot to see if people actually do want it. And if they do, then you can go all in. But it spares you a lot of heartache. And so really learning in depth about that process was very valuable for me, and it's something that I put to immediate use. I, I really wanted to make myself the first guinea pig for the principles that I talked about in Entrepreneurial U, and so I was able, uh, as I was writing it in 2016, to launch a very successful online course, which now 150 people have been through. So that's something that I'm very proud of. Well, and you should be. You know, it's funny because before we had social, we had the internet marketing world, and I was very lucky to have worked with some of the, the early influencers in that space. And, uh, you know, I've often wondered what's the difference between entrepreneurs who are able to see uh, trends before they really become a trend and uh, when people are just actually learning about their passion and then what's the best delivery mechanism for them to work with. And I've discovered over time, Dory, that something that um, some entrepreneurs, uh, it's more of a hurdle for them than understanding either one of those, is understanding the value that they offer. And I love how you wrote about that very early on in Entrepreneurial U. Can we dig into that a little bit? Because, you know, our, our goal for listeners on Breakthrough Radio is to talk about both the inner as well as the outer game of business. And, and I don't know about you, but I've discovered that inner game trips people far more than the outer game ever does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, there are a lot of inner questions that you need to resolve in order to be able to do things effectively. I mean, in fact, one, for instance, um, this is actually the title of a chapter in Entrepreneurial U, is called The Courage to Monetize. And I think in a lot of ways, when, if we're talking about entrepreneurial ventures, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, because learning how to price yourself and how to charge fairly for your services really gets to a lot of the questions that people have about themselves, the doubts that they may have about themselves uh, in terms of what value they can offer, in terms of, well, you know, how good am I? What you know, what can I really do for other people that would be helpful, et cetera. And so it, it really requires, you know, I mean, of course, it's self-evident that if you want to have a successful business, you need to be charging people and you need to be charging people fairly. Otherwise, the business can't last over the long term. And yet, in many ways, this is something that is very foundationally hard for a lot of people to, uh, to, to feel comfortable doing and addressing. Well, I know you shared a little bit of of uh, a personal story that that you learned about being able to extract that value and put a good number on it. Would you be willing to share a little bit about your own personal story to help listeners go, 
okay, so it's not just me. Dory just gave me a great example of how it happened to her, too. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, you know, early on, I was just as clueless as everybody else starting about this. I mean, I, I literally remember the first time that I had a pricing conversation working for myself. I had just launched my business and I honestly didn't, didn't have any idea what I would charge for services. I was, I was just kind of stumbling into it. And so I had this conversation um, with, a, with a prospect. And I was so excited that I had this prospect meeting and I had put so much thought into, you know, how I would do the conversation and how I would impress them with my credentials and, you know, different possibilities of services I could offer, you know, all, all of that. And then we get to, you know, the sort of denouement of the conversation. And of course, you know, rather logically, they asked me, well, this sounds great. How much is it? And I, I just stopped dead because I literally hadn't thought about it. I just, it just had not occurred to me that they would ask this question, which of course is ridiculous. Of course, that's the thing people want to know, but I had no idea. And so I literally just made up a number. I made, I, I, my, my acupuncturist at the time I was getting acupuncture chart was charging $70 an hour. And so I thought, Hmm, okay, well I, I'm willing to pay that for acupuncture. So I really need this client. So I need to pay, I need to charge something that's a little, maybe a little less than that, because then they'll really be willing to do it. So I'm like, um, $60 an hour. <laughs> and, and they were like, sure. And then I realized, you know, of course, the minute they said that, I'm like, oh, that was probably too low. They agreed really easily. And I was just like, oh man, I screwed that up somehow. But it, it was, it was terrible. And of course now, you know, I've, I've raised my rates well beyond that, uh, which is which is a good thing. Um, but it was it was a very traumatic uh, moment for me because I realized like, oh, I really have to I have to think this through. And for a lot of people, because in our culture we are operating in a black box when it comes to money, people are very hesitant to talk about it in general. Certainly to talk you know real prices and pricing with each other. Um, it, it, it hangs a lot of people up. And so that's one of the goals that I have for Entrepreneurial U is really trying to start an honest discourse about um, money and about how entrepreneurs earn money and what they should be charging and what are realistic prices and things like that. I really tried to make a point to use real numbers in the book um, so that people could hopefully be a little bit better informed about the process. Mm. You know, and it's interesting how I've learned over the years kind of along with you, Dory, that sometimes people just need a few really good questions to sit down and ask themselves with a spiral notebook and, and just be real honest with themselves and just start writing answers. Does that work well for the people you work with as, as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, think, I think that part of it is um, understanding, um, you know, for one thing, how much time you're putting into something. It, it, I think early on, um, you know, you don't necessarily have a sense, but, but over time you begin to understand, all right, if I'm, if I'm doing X, Y, Z task, it'll probably take me this long. And so just getting, you know, not, I, I'm actually not a fan of charging by the hour in general. I think that often ends up devaluing one's work, but, um, but just having a sense of how much relative effort you're putting into something is, is very useful and, and getting clear about that. I think another thing that's extremely helpful is just getting a better sense of market pricing, which so few people have. I know uh, for me, for instance, when I started, I, I didn't 
you know, early on, I didn't know anyone who was in my business. And so I didn't have anyone to ask. I didn't have any trusted resources to be able to figure out like, well, what, what is a normal price for this? I mean, not that you're necessarily going to charge exactly what other people do. In fact, you may, you may explicitly want to not do that so that you can either, um, you know, offer a cheaper service or, Maybe you want to position yourself at the top of the market, um, but but it is really helpful to know what other people are charging, just so you have that as a baseline and can make an informed decision. And I had I had none of that. I think sometimes people think, well, gosh, they're my competitors. Why would they tell me? But honestly, um, a if you become friends, become part of a community, people will share information. And number two, this is what online groups are great for. You know, I mean, you, yes, with the, in, in the internet era, in some ways you're competing against people worldwide, but, but also if you're part of a community, a listserv, something like that, um, it may feel a little, um, a little less pressure if you're talking to a collaborator, you know, at the other end of the country, let's say, um, who might be able to share some honest information about pricing strategy. Well, since we're talking about pricing, and this is a question that really throws so many people, so we've given them some beginning ideas of how they can go out and just start uncovering and use the discovery process in a little smarter manner. When did you notice the shift for you, since you talked about confidence and courage earlier, happened for you in this particular space that allowed you to step up uh, and, and start asking for more. What did it look like for you? What kind of conversations went on in your head, and what did you notice in your interactions with people? Because I'm thinking if people start recognizing what that looks like, then they'll be able to step up in a really different way too. Well, I think part of it is that the more so-called social proof that you amass, the easier it is to feel comfortable asking for um, for higher prices. So social proof is a term borrowed from psychology. Essentially, it just means, you know, what are your markers of credibility? And so every time you have an additional marker of credibility, that's a little bit more ammunition. You're a little bit more pre-vetted um, so that other people uh, who are hiring you can relax a little bit and say, oh, okay, well, if she's good enough for such and such, then I guess she's good enough for me. And that usually entitles you to you know, to, to feel confident asking for higher prices. So for instance, you could get social proof in the form of starting to write for a prominent publication that people have heard of, or maybe you land a marquee client and everybody says, Oh wow, she consults for them. Okay. That's cool. Or, you know, maybe you've gotten some kind of a high profile, uh, speaking engagement that's, uh, that's been very prominent or, um, you know, whatever. There's, there's a variety of things. Maybe you've taken on the leadership role in a professional association. All of these things make you more marketable and enable you to, uh, if you so choose, uh, to potentially raise your rates. Well, you know, Dory, as we're wrapping up our conversation with you, Share with listeners what has going on this whole journey of being an entrepreneur over these years, what has happened to allow you, as you uh, titled your, your last chapter in, in your book, to live the life that you want? Yeah, it's, it's of course, really um, critical as you are pursuing 
an entrepreneurial career or an entrepreneurial side stream, even if you have a, a day job that you love, to really get, get clear with yourself about what your end goal is. Because in our culture, the default, if you, if you do not consciously choose one, uh, the default is, well, you should obviously make a lot of money and you should have uh, you know, an empire and lots of employees and things like that. That's sort of where the culture pushes you if you are successful. And some people do want that, and that is great. Uh, that being said, it's not the right choice for everyone. Many people are increasingly choosing entrepreneurship because of the autonomy that it affords. And they might not want to, uh, to be building some kind of empire with thousands of employees. They might want to have a location-independent business where they can be on the beach. Or they might want to have extreme flexibility in their schedule that allows them to take care of uh, an ailing relative or a young child or, or something like that. And so we really need to be conscious to optimize for what we want to do. Um, for instance, you know, I, I used to live in Boston, and I had a business that was very tied to Boston. You know, I, I was doing a lot of consulting projects, and they were all in the city or within a couple hours' drive of the city. And so I was just constantly going to meetings and having to schlep around, and, and that, that was my day. And it was very limiting in terms of the opportunities that I could pursue outside of that because I was so tied down. And so I really made conscious choices in my business a number of years ago that enabled me to free myself up and be able to, um, to have the ability to really have a location-independent business, which I do now. And I have very good flexibility that, um, you know, I'm, I'm traveling all the time for speaking, but if I wanted to go away uh, for a while, I, I certainly could do that because there's not specific client work that's tying me down. That's something that was important to me, and so I shifted my business model to enable myself to do that. And I love it when people talk about this because so many times I've literally had to have people in the chair, whether it's a startup grind or whether it's here on Breakthrough Radio, where they learned that lesson the hard way. They built a business that didn't align to the life they wanted to live, and they had to turn around and build another one. Yeah, exactly. Well, Dory, is there anything you would like to leave listeners with today here on Breakthrough Radio from maybe something I didn't think to ask you? Ah, well, I, I will just mention briefly that if, if folks are interested in thinking deeper about how to attract more revenue streams into their own business, I have a, a free resource, an Entrepreneurial You workbook that they could get at doryclark.com slash entrepreneur that can help them think through how to apply this uh, to their own life and their own business. Well, thank you so much, Dory, for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Michelle, thank you so much for having me. Excuse me. Okay, so I'm going to swiftly move into Andrea's segment, and then I'll talk about startup brain afterwards because I'm just about to go into a sneezing attack. So, Andrea, can you take it away in our Breakthrough Bite <laughs> segment? Absolutely, Michelle. I will take it away. It is good to be with you. Um, and, yes, I am continuing my segment on connections. And we are talking, um, actually, this is perfect timing to dovetail into what Dory was talking about um, from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Um, 
of connections because today's topic is about the lone wolf syndrome. And I know of this because I myself find, and I guess it's technically not that I'm, I am a lone wolf because I'm in a business with my husband, so we are partners. But, uh, and so people always say, oh, you're, you must be so lucky that you have someone to bounce ideas off. Yes, that's true. But I will tell you this, what's, the, what's so funny about that is in our own way, because we think so similarly, being lone wolves together. So we kind of end up, we're lone wolves anyway. And I have met many lone wolves um, at conferences, at networking events, at meetings. And I know who these people are because they say to me all the time uh, exactly what I just said. They say, oh, you, it's so neat that you have a business partner, that you and your husband work together because at least you're not alone and you have someone to talk to and, and you know, you can bounce off ideas. So there's a lot of people out there who are um, alone, right? You're, you're just, you, you are on your own. And so connections become even more important. And of course, making connections is a tough go for many people because so many of us think that to be that suave, smooth networker person that we need to have the it factor and we need to be able to schmooze people. And the good news is, that is not true. But, but if you think that, you end up sometimes operating as a lone wolf because you think you have to be that, that person. Or what was really interesting about the very end of Dory's interview, she talked about, she used a really interesting word, and I loved it, and I typed it out real quick before I got on the show today, and that word was autonomy. And autonomy is, I think, why a lot of us want to be in business for ourselves or are in business for ourselves. We don't want to have a boss. We want to have flexibility. We want to work on the things that we want to work on, do the projects that we want to do. And so that's great. Um, and, and pursue our interests and, and run our own show. And it is fabulous. But that autonomy, that desire to kind of be on your own, and maybe some of you have that kind of um, introverted, I want to be on my own, I like being the lone wolf thing. But again, what are you losing out on when you have that autonomy mindset where it goes too much over into that lone wolf and you really aren't getting out there? Um, and what do you gain by making connections, by getting out and meeting people? Um, so if you are out there and you are the lone wolf and you're not making, don't know how to talk to people or ask for help. This really is the show for you today. And I will say this as the co-author of Go For No, I know that a big part of making connections is the fear of the fear of failing. It's that fear of being rejected. It's that fear of being less than. And of course, it's all about making that good impression on people, right? That becomes so important. And if you think that your business isn't big enough or you're not um, as successful as other people, then what happens is it's kind of this catch 22. You're not successful enough to go out and meet people and talk about your business, but so you, you stay at home and you're kind of on your own and you're doing the lone wolf thing. And then by doing that, you're not able to grow your business and be as successful as you could be. 
So I'm really a big proponent on getting yourself out of your comfort zone and not letting yourself get sucked in to being alone and just being on your own and, and being stuck with your own thoughts. Getting out there and making connections is so important and getting over that fear of rejection and that fear of being less than and not being successful than everyone else has to be put aside. And of course, it's all a mindset issue. Most people have this thing turned just completely the wrong way. I mean, it's just facing the wrong way. The, the single key to being good with this, with making connections with other people, when I say making connections, I'm really talking about getting out into the, the uh, world in which people who do what you do hang out or where even your customers or your prospects hang out. So this could be at meetings and conferences and conventions. It could be networking type peer groups. Uh, Michelle's deep into startup grind. Perfect example. I bet you there are a lot of people, you know, kind of lone wolves running around Houston and other cities who should become involved in startup grind, but they're into this lone wolf mindset where they've come up with reasons why they don't want to get involved or they think they have to be at a certain level or um, they think they have to have the it factor and they're really missing out on a lot. So that's what I'm going to talk to everybody about today is how do you get over that? And, and, And how do you get prepared? Because again, the key to being okay with this, this is all really, it starts with your mindset and as the go for no person on Breakthrough Radio, I'm always talking about everything is really coming from a place of mindset. That's where it always begins is your mindset. And then if we can kind of deal with that and say, all right, can I talk you out of being this lone wolf and getting out there and getting to some events, then let's talk about the how and the strategy. So most people don't feel prepared. They don't feel prepared to get out there. Why? Because again, they're looking at networking and making connections as to how they are going to impress, what they are going to say. No, you need to be a gatherer. And my perfect analogy is to pretend that you are an investigative reporter writing a story about the event. And what do you do if you're an investigative reporter? Well, first of all, you have to have a curiosity mindset and you have to be a gatherer. And fundamentally what you do, of course, if you were an investigative reporter is you would ask questions. And so your preparedness simply needs to be to be prepared with one or two go-to questions that you have in your back pocket at the ready at every at at any time. And I do because um, I, I have to just, I, I know that I can, I love conversations. I love meeting people, but the beginning is always kind of awkward. And so I've taught myself these couple questions and it be, then becomes effortless. You don't have to be the funniest, smoothest talker in the room or impress, have these questions ready. So Um, my go-to absolute favorite question is, what do you do? This, of course, would be a question that you would ask if you were not 
in a room, say, of people who are writers. And so the question is kind of a moot point. So at that point, you would kind of mix up the question and you would come up with a new question, which would be, what do you write? So take whatever event that you're at and really start with kind of the, the what question and the kind of the do question. And if you're at a general meeting or conference, what do you do? That's such a great conversation starter. And then my second go-to question, remember, this is just to break the ice. This is just to break the ice and get through that first awkward moment. Say you're at an event and you sit down next to someone and you know, they're sitting there, they're having their coffee, whatever, and you desperately want to say something and introduce yourself and break the ice and you just don't know what to say. Um, it, these are my go-to questions. It is, what do you do? And then my second one, very simply, is where are you from? Which is an easy question that people can answer and you can always relate because you've either been there you haven't been there, in which case you can say you've always wanted to go there. So you have an answer um, either way at any time, right? And those ha being prepared with, you may be listening to this and you may be saying, Andrea, that is so obvious. Those are like the most basic, like boring, can't you come up with anything creative? And my answer to that is no, you don't need to come up with anything creative. You don't need to make this complicated. The more complicated you make it. Now, if you're an experienced networker, then I'm guessing you're already not a lone wolf. So you can come up with all the complicated questions that you want um, in different fun introductions. Uh, but if you're just, if you are a lone wolf who needs to be prepared, these questions just to make it so easy. You have them at the ready and you ask the questions and you let the other person talk. And if they are brief, then the very thing that next thing that you can follow up with is, oh, interesting. Tell me more about that. Listening, listening to people and letting them talk and gathering the information, gathering information really will help you lead to more connections, deeper connections, and have people realize that you are um, an interesting person. I think I, there's a, a quote, and I forgot to write it down, um, right? If you want to um, look interesting, be interested, right? And so asking people questions, being interested in them, and once you get those one or two awkward questions out of the way, then things get really, the ice gets, gets natural, gets easy to talk to, and then they'll ask you what you do, and you can tell them a little bit about your business, and you're off and running. So uh, if you're listening to this and you think these are basic, come up with your own if you want. But these are great questions just to kick things off. Now, a couple things to think about as you are building connections and getting out there, and hopefully I did make the case, um, for getting out there and not being a lone wolf. And the, the interesting thing is that if you're, if you are thinking about, for example, I'm going to use startup grind again as, as an example, that that's something that you want to join or be a part of. And you may be thinking, uh, well, I don't have the money or I don't have the time or I, I, you know, I'm not connected. Nobody knows me. Um, all of the excuses that you have been using as to why you are the lone wolf that you are and you're stuck in your own head, 
um, and running around just with your own stuff are the exact reasons why you need to get to these events because it is amazing what happens when you reach out and just talk to people, especially in an entrepreneurial space or if you are a speaker, you hang out with other speakers. If you're a writer, you hang out with writers. If you're um, some kind of independent business owner, right, you find the niche for that business. Um, and you make those connections because, and I will talk this, we will kind of bring all of this together in November of what really can happen, what kind of synergy can happen in your business when you make connections with uh, other people. Just a couple key things though here, just to remember, um, quality is probably better than quantity in this case. So if you go to an event and there's a thousand people there, don't worry about talking to 10% of them. It's not gonna happen. So that's just way too high in that case. Find five to eight people Try to make a good connection. Try to have a conversation. Um, get deeper so that you learn about people. And that is the way that you'll really be able to exchange value together and drive that connection. Uh, another tip, remember this. You, everybody is not doing a favor by talking um, to you. So don't approach events like that where people – like where, you know, you think, oh, I hope this person, right, be in your value. You've got things to offer. You've got lessons that you've learned. I like that you like that, Michelle. And so, you know, um, and, and so just, just be in that space. Um, and if you get stuck, remember to be a gatherer. Just think gatherer in your mind. And also, I'll just, I'll just add this. For those of you who are still fearful and anxious and you say, yes, I would go, but still, it's horrible. I don't, you know, I'm nervous and it's going to be horrible. Um, this is a go-for-no philosophy all the way. Be prepared to be rejected. If you pick out somebody to talk to, sometimes they're just going to shun you. They're just going to be not interested. They're, they're going to... Um, they might be polite and give you a one or two word answer and maybe they'll just kind of look away or turn. We've all been there. I mean, we've all felt, you can feel when someone literally rejects you, whether they say it or they're just kind of through their body language, you can tell they're just not interested. Um, there are too many, this is just like dating guys, get over it fast. Don't dwell on people who overlook you. There are too many people in the sea right? And these events to worry about, don't worry about that one person who, you know, um, and as a speaker, I will tell you, and this is so common, um, and anybody who's spoken in front of a group knows this as a speaker. And, and, and we talk about this, we talk about not doing this. It's, it's a big no, no, you know, you're on stage and you're out looking at a hundred or 500 people and there's one person and they're there and you can see them and they're in the third row and their arms are folded um, or they're checking their cell phone periodically. And you just know that they, you get the feeling they don't like you. They don't like what you're saying. They don't value it. Um, they're disinterested or maybe they just are bored or angry. I mean, and you as a speaker could easily get really wrapped up and ruin your talk for everybody else. And so speakers are trained. You can't, 
you can't work on just that one. You can't, it can't become your mission to turn that one person. You've got to just let it go. Don't look at them. Don't pay attention and focus on the rest of the audience. So prepare for some rejection. It is out there. Just get over it quickly and move on. And if you see somebody, you know, don't assume if you see, oh, that's the, that's the um, president or that's the person who organizes the events. I, I can't talk to them yet. Don't assume anything. If there's an opportunity to strike, strike up a conversation, do a little gathering. You don't even, you don't have to do any, any spitting out of your own stuff. Do a little gathering. You can work on connecting with them again later. Um, strike up that conversation, do some of that gathering, and then, um, you know, you can, you can work on building that relationship further down the line and continuing on those connections. So I hope I've convinced everybody today that the lone wolf isn't worth it. Worth it. We're going to put all of this together next month. We're going to talk, we're going to put together the lone wolf conversation. We're going to put together the conversation that we had last month about about finding your marigold, and I will remind everybody what that is next month, and how that can really work for your business. So we'll, we'll wrap it all up in a big gratitude package for next month. Perfect. Thank you so much, Andrea. As usual, you took it away, so we appreciate it. Thanks, Michelle. Now that we've had our breakthrough bite, let me share with you a little bit and ask you a couple of questions. Have you visited and participated in a startup grind fireside chat yet? I want to encourage you to reach out and find out what's happening in your city, in your country with startup grind, because you're going to find a group of enthusiastic entrepreneurs and investors who are looking to create profitable business and affect positive change in the world. This coming month in Houston on November 8th, if you're visiting our area, we're going to dive into what makes a successful crowdfunding campaign with Naki, who is actually the second most successful Kickstarter in Texas. So find out what's happening in your city or country with Startup Grind. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in to Breakthrough Radio today because your feedback has always been important to our entire team here. You know, our intention is to bring you guests each week that expand your knowledge and inspire your actions to grow your business. And to accomplish that, it benefits us both to know what you like, what you didn't like, which topics you're enjoying, which ones you want to learn more about. And you can always email us that feedback at the Breakthrough Specialist at gmail.com. Well, this is Michelle Price here with Breakthrough Radio delivering you the best business minds each Monday live. I'm coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas, where we work with your business down the street or around the world. 